Take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 139, a passage that you will recall that we have been in before in the past, usually on the Sanctity of Life Sunday uh, in January. Uh, Every year in January, uh, churches across the nation celebrate the Sanctity of Life and encouraging people to stand for life and and, and uh, let ladies know that there is another choice to make rather than abortion. And uh, this is a text that is often used in that. That's obviously not the way we're going to use it today. I want to switch it around and talk uh, to you today about a perfect father. You know, I was uh, thinking on Father's Day, looking back across the past 20 years, I don't recall that I have ever preached a message on Father's Day of God being our perfect father and focusing on him. So it's time we do that. Amen? Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. All that you would slay the wicked, O God, O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Yes, Lord, it is our prayer that you would lead us in the way everlasting. Open our minds to this passage of Scripture. 
And help us to fully understand and comprehend this morning that indeed you are the perfect Father. Lord, I pray that there is nothing about our lives that we would be hesitant to surrender to you. Because your ways are always best. Even if we don't see it at the moment. So help us to trust you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. According to the St. Paul Pioneer Press, in an article entitled, Earth's Big Brother, I want you to listen to what they said in that article. And I quote, Have you ever wondered why a giant asteroid might hit our planet? The planet Jupiter is our first line of defense, says Alan Boss, an astrophysicist at the Carnegie Institution in Washington. It is something like 99.9% efficient at throwing dangerous space junk, asteroids, and meteorites back out into space. How does that happen? Jupiter is 318 times heavier than Earth. Because of this mass, Jupiter creates a huge gravitational field that acts like a giant cosmic vacuum cleaner drawing the junk that floats into the gravitational field toward it and away from other planets, including Earth. Jupiter displayed its protective power some years ago when a monster comet broke into fragments and bombarded the planet Jupiter with more destructive power than all of the atom bombs on Earth. Not all space particles get deflected by Jupiter. But living in Jupiter's gravitational field minimizes the destructive forces that enter the Earth's atmosphere. Here's how the article closed. Considering Jupiter's protective role, the ancient Romans unknowingly named the mighty planet well because in Old Latin, Jupiter means sky Father. Folks, I want you to think about the kindness, the mercy, the benevolence of God in designing the universe this way. The creator of the universe is God, and with a word, he spoke everything into being. He's present everywhere in the universe and beyond. He upholds everything by his mighty power. Great is our God and greatly to be praised. He is indeed the perfect heavenly father. And folks, that's what Psalm 139 is about. Psalm 139 is theology of the best sort. Theology needs to touch the head and the heart. If it only touches the head, it'll be cold. If it only touches the heart, it might be shallow and sentimental. Psalm 139 touches both head and heart. 
Alexander McLaren wrote of King David describing God's knowledge of his life. Not mere omniscience, but a knowledge that knows him altogether. Not mere omnipresence, but a presence which he can nowhere escape. Not mere creative power, but a power which shaped him, feel, and thrill the psalmist's soul. Folks, we are challenged in our thinking by Psalm 139 because of the greatness of God. We are challenged to trust God all the more. And we're also comforted by Psalm 139. We're comforted because even though the world around us might seem like it is out of control, it is not out of control. Everything is in God's hands. With all this said, I want you to see this morning that we do indeed have a perfect Heavenly Father. Now some of you had a less than ideal childhood. Maybe you come to Father's Day and you have bad memories about a father who did not treat you very well. Maybe you are a father this morning who feels so inadequate yourself. Who can be adequate for this task that God has given us? Can any of us do it in our strength? Of course not. But I want you to see this morning that we know one who can. He is perfect all the time. There is never a moment that God has a shortcoming or a failure. There is never a moment that his guidance is not perfect. There is never a moment that God sins or transgresses. There is never a moment that God fails to provide exactly what you and I need. And I want us to see that today. I'm going to invite you to lean in close this morning. And listen, because there's not a jot or a tittle of this great psalm that I want us to miss. First of all, this morning I want you to see a a perfect father who is omniscient. A perfect father who is omniscient. Omniscience is a theological word that simply refers to God's knowledge. God's knowledge is complete. But David doesn't reflect on this in a cold, clinical way. He applies this great doctrine of God to his own life. First of all, he points out that God is able to see our hearts. In verse 1, he says, Oh God, you have searched me and you know me. He knows all about us. I think of this being expressed in the Bible. I think, for instance... uh, Uh, The situation with Nathaniel. You remember in John 1 when they approached Nathaniel and said, Come, we want you to see the Messiah. We have found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, Hmm, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And when Jesus approached Nathaniel, he said, What? Nathaniel, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree. Nathaniel ended up saying what? My Lord and my God, indeed you are the Messiah. 
Remember that situation in John chapter 8 when the woman was caught in adultery and and Jesus began riding in the sand and and everybody began dropping their rocks and walking away. Some believe that what Jesus was riding in the sand was probably the sins of all of those who wanted to stone this woman. How does the Lord know something like that? Because he's omniscient. He knows everything. David says in verse 2 that God is able to see our position. He knows when I sit. He knows when I rise, when I lie down. Thirdly, he points out that God is able to see our thoughts. We think that our thoughts are secret, that nobody knows our thoughts if we don't put our thoughts into words. But guess what, dads? God even knows your thoughts without you expressing them. God is able to see our words, verse 4. God is able to see our days, verse 16. Sometimes people will say of a younger person who dies, they, they, they died prematurely, no. They died right on time on God's calendar because David says here, all of the days, not just the months, not the, not the weeks, months, years, or decades of my life, but God even has measured out all of the days that he has determined for me. God has a perfect boundary on every life, has set a perfect boundary on every life. Folks, all that David can do is conclude in verse 6, such knowledge, such omniscience, in other words, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, it is high, I cannot attain it. It's kind of like Paul in Romans 11. The end of Romans 11, Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who's known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor or who has first given him that it might be paid back to him again. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Arthur Pink wrote, God knows everything, everything possible, everything actual, all events, all creatures of the past, the present, the future. He's perfectly acquainted with every detail in the life of every being in heaven, in earth, and in hell. Nothing escapes his notice. Nothing can be hidden from him. Nothing is forgotten by him. He never errs, never changes, never overlooks anything. A.W. Tozer also writes, God has never learned from anyone. God cannot learn. Could God at any time or in any manner receive into his mind knowledge that he did not possess and had not possessed from all eternity, he would be imperfect and less than himself. To think of a God who must sit at the feet of a teacher, even though that teacher be an archangel, is to think of someone other than the most high God, maker of heaven and earth. Now folks, for some, for some people who may want to hide, or those who don't know God, such knowledge, such omniscience is intrusive it's threatening and it might cause an uneasiness but not for David and not for us I hope 
Rather than dread, David is comforted by it. Because it means there's no trial in your life. There's no tribulation in life. Dads, there's nothing you face in life. No bump in the road that you face in life that God doesn't have perfect wisdom about. He knows how to guide you. And he loves you. He knows everything about you and me and still he has a wonderful plan like what he said of Israel in Jeremiah 29. He says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Folks, you know what this also means? It also means that it is foolish for you and me to rely on our own understanding because you and I don't see tomorrow. We don't even know of a certainty the next five minutes. But God knows everything. Everything. And the book of Proverbs over and over again tells us in multiple passages that God makes his wisdom available and he calls out to his people that we would walk in his wisdom and not ignore his wisdom because it is available to those who seek it. And you know, this also means... I, it's, Let me say to young people in here, not just dads, but young people. You know what it means, young people? It means that God has the wisdom to help you one day choose that perfect mate that God has for you in your life. That perfect work that he has for you, that he has wired you to do and designed you to do. God has perfect knowledge in all that. He's omniscient. For the older person, maybe you've lost a mate. Maybe you are experiencing some kind of dreaded disease. Guess what? God knows your needs too. God knows exactly what to do to help you. Second thing David talks about here, a a perfect father who is omnipresent. Beginning there in verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Now, omnipresence is also a theological word that just simply means God is everywhere all the time. And look at the question David poses in verse 7. He says, where shall I go from your spirit? It's not that David is wanting to escape. David is writing out of a sense of awe. He is enthralled by all of this. But if somebody did want to get away from God, could they? No, of course not. Now I want you to keep in mind the background to all this. Among the ancient peoples around Israel, the nations believed that their pagan gods only had jurisdiction over that country. And if you left your God's jurisdiction, 
you are out from under his care. Sometimes Israel was even tempted to think this way. Remember Jonah? You remember what Jonah did? The command came to Jonah, go to Nineveh? Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh and preach to the Assyrians. They were were like the Nazis of their day, 8th century B.C. Jonah didn't want, he didn't want to see the the Assyrians saved. He wanted to see them destroyed. Why in the world would I want to go and preach to the Assyrians, David thought. And so he goes down, catches a ship, and he's going to get as far away from Nineveh as he possibly can. He thought he could get away from God. If I only get on this ship and leave, God won't be able to find me. God found him. God prepared a fish, swallowed him. Even there in the depths of the sea, Jonah knew in chapter 2 of the book of Jonah that God was watching over him. And God said, spit him out, and he spit him out on dry land. God's everywhere. He points out in verse 8, God is in heaven. This is no surprise. David starts coming up with various scenarios. One scenario is, what if I ascend upward? What if I go up into the heavens? Well, God's there. That's, his thro- that's where his throne is. Look at what he says next. Sheol, the place of the dead. They looked at this in, in, a, in a bad sense. In other words, we could say God is in hell also. He rules over hell. God rules that. The devil doesn't rule that. The Bible says God is going to cast Satan into the lake of fire one day. The devil is not over hell. God is. Verse 9, God's at the beginning of the day, the wings of the dawn. This could be a reference going as far east as you possibly could. When the sun comes up over the horizon, it may look like you could travel over to that spot. Of course, we know that's not the case with the earth being round, but that's the way it appears to the naked eye. And so it's like David is saying, if I travel over there to that spot, could I run from God that way? No. How about going west? No. And in verse 9b, he talks about God being in the remotest part of the sea. And then in verses 11 and 12, God in the darkest places. Oftentimes, where do men commit their evil deeds? When is it? It's under the cloak of darkness so that others can't see. But David says, guess what? God's there. God sees. Dad's everything about your life. Wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever it is, God knows all about it. He's omniscient. John Trent is a Christian family therapist. He shared two letters given to him by a third grade teacher. The first letter, Dear Dad, I love it when you take me on dates. I like it when you play baseball with me, miniature golf with me, and you watch movies with me. I really appreciate it, Dad. 
I like it when you tell jokes to me. I like it when you hug me and kiss me. Daddy, I love you. But just four seats away from this child was another child, a little girl. Actual letter that was sent to John Trent by this teacher. Listen to what this letter says. Dear, dear Daddy, I love you so much. When are you going to come see me again? I miss you very much. I love it when you take me to the pool. When am I going to get to spend the night again at your house? Have you ever seen my house before, Daddy? I want to see your house. I would love to see what it looks like. When am I going to see you again, Daddy? I love you. Huge contrast between those two children, right? Folks, nobody could ever say that in the second letter about our Heavenly Father. Wherever we are, whatever we do, he's right there. Third thing I want you to see is God, a, a perfect father who is omnipotent. Beginning there in verse 13. Here again, theological word just means that God is all-powerful. And it speaks of God. He is talking about omnipotence here in, in light of human life. Now just think of what David could have written about omnipotence. He could have written about what happened in, in Genesis 1 and 2. God creating everything. God putting the sun in its place, the moon, all the stars, all the planets. David could have written about God's omnipotence in forming the mountains and the oceans and, and the valleys and all of that kind of stuff. But he doesn't. He talks about God's omnipotence in regards to human life. Again, I told you this is a very personal, personal psalm. David points out that God's omniscience is uh, God's omnipotence rather is seen in the fact that He made us and molded us. Verse thirteen and fourteen, He says, "You formed my inward parts; you knitted me together in my mother's womb." I'll praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, folks. We are not the product of chance. We are not the product of of evolution. We are the creation of God. And God is a purposeful God. He doesn't do anything by chance or without reason. David says, thou didst form. He, you formed me in my mother's womb. God is involved. He's more than involved. He's the creator, the sustainer of that little life. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We ought to know that. Red, yellow, black, and white. We are precious in his sight. The Bible states that we are made in the very image of God. What's meant by the image of God? Dads, I want you to think about this. The value that God assigns to your life and the value that God assigns to the little lives that you have a stewardship over. What's the image of God mean? The traditional view is that the image of God in the person refers to reason and intelligence. 
Man's biological classification is homo sapiens. Sapiens is Latin for wise, intelligent, understanding. And so homo sapien refers to the thinking man. The, the creature who reasons, who thinks, who has powers of wisdom and discernment. Whereas the animals operate more by instinct. Think of the difference in mankind and animals. Instinct. Talking about the animal world, I, I live in Carolando Estates across from Robinson High School. What's been going on in the, in the neighborhood lately at night, it's, it's kind of toning down now because breeding season must be coming to an end. Have you ever heard the call of a female fox telling males, I'm in the mood for love? I'm laying in bed one night and I hear this awful, you ought to YouTube it, you ought to Google it. It is the eeriest thing, it is like a woman screaming for her life if somebody is killing her or something. Uh, it, I, and, and, and in the middle of the night when everything's dark you hear that and I tell you what it will make the hair stand up on the back of your neck and I'm like I'm laying in bed one night and I hear that and, and I'm like what in the world is that and a fox was in my neighbor's yard behind me and in my yard one night family of foxes all instinct the females, breeding season, calling. But man, again, created in the image of God, reason, thinking. Then, then some have said, use the relational view. Image of God means relational. Man's, man's ability to enter into very formal and cohesive relationships and build a sense of community. Then there's the functional view, the fact that man is to, to rule or have dominion over creation. Then there's the spiritual view, the fact that the Bible says that God is spirit. And in Genesis 2, it says God breathed the breath of life into man. And he became a living soul. And so the implication there is man is made for more than the material. He's made for fellowship with God. Which, what, what explains the image of God in man? I think it's all of the above. And David affirms that God is omniscient. God is the one who has done this. God is the one who has formed him and fashioned him and made him. Then we see God's omnipotence seen in the fact that he determines all of our days, verses 15 and 16. Now folks, we know that men can commit murder or suicide, whatever it is, to end a life prematurely. Aside from something like that, God has put a perfect boundary on, on every life. The length of your days is not a surprise to him. He's determined the length of your life. 
Now look at the way David closes this, talking about this. Verses 17 and following. Uh, David says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they're more than the sand. I awake and I'm, I'm still with you. What's David do? David is glorying in God here. It's like David is thinking, God, how stupid I have been. How, how foolish I've been. I have fretted over my life. I've fretted over being a king. I have fretted over the hardships in my life. I, I've even fretted over my enemies. And it's because until now, God, I haven't fully gotten a good glimpse at you. But now that I've gotten a good glimpse at you, all of this other stuff, kind of pales in comparison it's like somebody said one time if you have big problems it may be because you have a small God but if you have a small God uh, if you have a big God kind of makes all your problems small by comparison Then David prays for an end to God's enemies, beginning there in verse 19. Now, under the new covenant, in New Testament times, what are we to do with a prayer like this? How do we handle this today? Because we know in the New Testament, God's told us to love our enemies. Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And so I think the safest way we can handle these verses here is that we need to pray for God's enemies. We need to pray that God would remove the veil from their eyes and they would see the glory of God in Christ and be saved. And that's exactly what Paul does in Romans chapter 9. Folks, let's not forget that all of us, the Bible says in Romans 1 2 and 3, Romans 1 through 3. The Bible says in our unbelief, there was a time that we were all the enemies of God. And yet in mercy and grace, God reached down and saved us. And so we need to pray for those who are still enemies of God, that God would reach down and save them just like he did us. And then finally here, David prays for God to search him. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. You know what's interesting here? At the beginning of the psalm, remember? The beginning of the psalm, David said, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Now at the close of the psalm, David is saying, O God, Oh God, search me and know my heart. The difference is at the beginning of the psalm, David is affirming that that God does what God does. God is sovereign, so he does search us. We can't keep him from doing that. He's God. But now after being caught up in this psalm and the wonderful grace and power and knowledge of God, David is calling out and he's saying, God, I want you to do what you do anyway. I gladly want you to search me and know me. And if there's anything in me you don't like, God, deal with me. David wants intimacy with God. He wants to know God's peace. He wants to know God's correction. He wants God to direct his steps. 
some lessons here. Dads, I want you to know that God knows you. He knows, he knows where you hurt. You know, dads, we're always supposed to be the strong ones, aren't we? Everybody comes to us for strength. But guess what? God knows where you hurt. And he knows how to comfort you. One of his names in the Bible is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals our hurts. Dads, he can do that for you. Come to him. Likewise, dads, he knows where you need to repent. Did you hear me, dads? Repentance. We don't hear much of that today, do we? Where do you need to repent? Where is there sin in your life? You think it's hidden from God? It's not hidden from God. First Corinthians 11, when the church was getting ready to go into the Lord's Supper, Paul said, you need to judge yourselves. If you, if you judge yourselves, you can skip you can skip God having to judge you and deal with you. Do you want to judge yourself and repent or do you want God to have to deal with you? Dads, we need to judge ourselves and repent where we know there's sin in our life. Dads, I want you to know that God is able to give you wisdom as a father, as a heavenly father, the perfect heavenly father. He certainly knows what you and I are, are dealing with as earthly fathers. He knows how to guide us. He knows how to direct our steps. Trust him. He's got the power to do all of this. What I want you to see this morning in closing on this Father's Day is that you and I have a Father like no other. Our Heavenly Father is a perfect Father. He is our great God, the great I Am that He revealed Himself to be to Moses. In other words, he is what he is. He will be what he will be. The great I am, that was, that was a statement that God was saying, I am the all-sufficient God. Whatever you need, I will supply your need. Folks, that's the kind of father that we all can celebrate here today. Amen? I hope today that you have an earthly father that you can celebrate. And I hope as earthly fathers, we will be sufficient for the role that God has given us. But I'm also glad as an earthly father that we have a heavenly father who, who can help us. So earthly fathers, I want you today to... To lean on your perfect heavenly father. And ask him to conform you more each day to the image of Christ. That we might can be the men, the husbands, the fathers that God has called us to be. That we could properly reflect to others our heavenly father. And what? he is like let's pray 
Father, we do thank you today for your love, your grace, your mercy, your knowledge, your power. God, everything that we need is in you. There's no lack in you. There's no sin. There's no shortcoming. Lord, as earthly fathers, help us to trust you. Our responsibilities are great in life. You've given us a very important stewardship. God, help us to carry out that stewardship in a way that one day you would say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Bring change in our life. Bring comfort where that's needed. Bring strength. And Lord, for that man here today who may not know Christ, I pray that through the power of your Spirit, you would draw him to Christ. Take the veil off of his eyes that he will see the glory of God in Christ and be saved. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.